good morning, Northland. It's good to be with you. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis is the very first book of the Bible, and chapter 1 is the very first chapter of the first book of the Bible. While you're turning there, let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever left a review on a product, whether it be Amazon, Yelp, Google? How many, how many reviewers do we have out there? All right. How many of you, I'm just, just show of hands, I have not asked anybody else, but how many of you have left a bad review, bad review? All right. Uh, how many of you have left a raving, incredible review, just glowing review? And how many of you have done both? You raised both hands. We are, yeah, you're now Pentecostal. Just joking. Just joking. So, <laughs> that's awesome. So, yeah. Well, I, I've never, well, I don't think I've ever left a review. Now, I've, I've done like five stars or four stars or three stars like that. But I do actually read reviews before I purchase. You do that as well, don't you? So, uh, I'll give you a for instance. All right. So, when we moved here, the people that sold us their house, they took their refrigerator. So we had to buy a new refrigerator. So I actually go online and I begin to research the, you know, the best refrigerators for a certain price range. I mean, because I don't need one with the TV screen and, and all of that. So, but, but I'm actually, you know, doing all of this research and looking at reviews and stuff. And I, I think I found the perfect one. And so I told Joni, Hey, I, I think we need to get this refrigerator. And so we go to Home Depot, we find it, we order it and we get to the house. Well, a couple months later, I just realized what, what a bad refrigerator we got. And here's, here's the reason why I found out it was a really bad refrigerator. I, I didn't read how big the ice bucket was. And so living in Florida, you need ice for cold, refreshing drinks. And with two boys that play football, you know, they want to take their big old Gatorade bucket and, and, and they, want to, they want to take that jug and they want to fill it up with ice. Well, when I get home from my run or my bike ride, I want some ice and there's no ice. And so I'll, I'll hit the little ice thing and it would just spin. It would go, uh, uh, uh. and Joni would like, it's out of ice. And I'm like, uh. and so what we had to start doing, we had to start going to Publix, getting some ice bags and putting them in our freezer in the garage. And so anytime it's out of ice, well, you know, then, then you'll have somebody, well, you got to go into the, to the garage and get some ice. And I'm like, you shouldn't have to do that buying a brand new refrigerator. So so here's what I've actually done. I've begun to research countertop ice makers, and this is the one that I found. And so I have put this. Anybody else use Amazon wish list to put whatever you want? That, yeah. So uh, this is in my Amazon wish list. And so now my wife can get into my Amazon account, go to my wish list, and she will see that a countertop ice maker is right at the top. And it is a great gift that she can get me. And she's in this service. This is a great gift, baby. <laughs> that you can get for me for Christmas. Now, what, why, why this ice maker? Well, if you look in the left-hand corner, there's over 14,000 reviews on this ice maker. And out of over 14,000, they actually give it four and a half out of five stars. I mean, this is amazing. And then by feature, it's easy to clean, easy to use. The flavor must be great. I uh, don't, don't know what that means, but, but value for money and the noise level. And so it's, it's going to be a little noisy, but because of the value and the taste of ice, it sure is a really good ice maker. Josh, why, 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 do, you, why do you share this? Well, because reviews are feedback that tell the company, business, manufacturer, and owner about their product. How good it is, how bad it is, what is good, 
what, what are the strengths? What are the weaknesses? What are the defects? And I would hope that any business manufacturer owner would want their product to receive a five-star rating. I mean, like, here's the thing. If you ever go on to review Northland, I would hope that you, you if you love Northland, you give us a five-star rating. And if you would give us, and if you want to give us a one-star rating, why don't you come to me and tell me why before you put it on Google, all right? So, but, but I don't know anybody who would, who would say, yeah, I want a, I want a one-star rating. No, you don't. You want a five-star rating. We all want a five-star rating. Now, in using this as a present example, here's what I hope to show you today, is how the totality of what it takes to bring about a flourishing product requires generosity on behalf of the owner and company. In other words, listen to this, church. If you work with the premise that you want your product to flourish and to bring flourishing, everything that is needed for that product to come into existence needs to be undergirded with generosity so that every part of the process flourishes in order to bring about flourishing. So all of the systems and processes that, that go into making the product, it needs to be undergirded with generosity. So here's the main point we're going to flesh out this morning. So if you're ready, say I'm ready. Good. Generosity, we'll say it in two ways. Generosity aims for flourishing, or you can say it this way. Generous people aim to bring flourishing for the people and things they love. See, the purpose of generosity is flourishing. Now, last week we looked at the principle of generosity or the foundation is love. You'll, you'll never be generous towards the people and things you don't love. So, but the, for the people and things that you love, you'll be generous. But here's the other thing that we're looking at today. The purpose of generosity is flourishing. That whoever you love, Whatever you love, you're going to work to bring flourishing to their life. Now, here's the thing I want. I want to go ahead and warn you. You're probably going to get frustrated with me today because I'm going to leave you hanging at the very end. This is a cliffhanger message. And so to really get to the latter part of the message, you got to come back in a couple of weeks. So I'm just telling you right now, so you don't even have to be frustrated at the end. I'm telling you, you might be, but you don't have to be now because I've told you. So just, just know, at the very end, I'm going to leave you hanging. But today, we're going to unpack the concept of flourishing, what it is and what is needed to bring about flourishing. And so to unpack that concept, we're going to look at Genesis 1. But you remember last week, I said every single message, we're going to stand and recite what? John... Man, you guys forgot, so we got to stand up and we got to recite it. See, you forgot. So hopefully you'll remember in a couple of weeks. <laughs> Here it is. All right. So John 3, 16, this is why John 3, 16 is actually giving us every principle that we see in Genesis 1. But so that's why we're going to read John 3, 16 and the whole idea of the backstory of generosity, what we see in John 3, 16, we actually see developed in Genesis 1, which is why we're doing John 3, 16. Ready? On a count of three, we're going to read John 3, 16. Ready? One, two, three. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have. Everybody say that last one again. Have what? All right. Father, I pray that you would be glorified. Jesus, may you be the center of this message and may you also be the center of our life. And spirit, I pray that you would work in a powerful way in our midst.
that you would go to work shaping and conforming our hearts if we are believers more into the image of Jesus. I pray, Spirit, that you would work to draw people who are far from Jesus. Will you draw them to his beauty, his grace, his forgiveness, his generosity? And may they walk away changed and transformed. And I do pray that you would work in Northland Church to allow us to become, not just do generous things, but that we would be generous. And it's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. All right, so... So the aim, what we saw in in John 3, 16, the aim of God's love is actually eternal life. Eternal life is flourishing. And so what we'll see in Genesis 1 is the aim of God's generosity, which is flourishing. Now, I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but there's this running theme that we see through chapter 1, and it has to do with how God saw creation. Day 1, we read that God saw that the light was good. Then day three. Day two is the only day that we don't see God saying it was good. So uh, something happened on day two and, and, and God skipped the good and he went to day three. And day three, God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas and God saw that it was good. On day three again, he said, let the land produce vegetation and God saw that it was good. On day four, God set the lights in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth, to govern day and night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Then day five, God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the the earth across the vault of the sky. And God saw that it was Good. And then day six, God said, let the land produce living creatures and let us make mankind in our image and likeness. And God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Now, the Hebrew word for good is tov. Everybody say tov. Tov. It means pleasant, desirable, beautiful, pleasing, loving, and in order. Many scholars note that creation's goodness means that everything was working according to how God intended it to work. And then taken collectively at the end of day six, God saw that it was very good, which refers to this idea of shalom, perfect peace, total flourishing, thereby leading to day seven, where God rests and he enjoys his very good creation. I just want to make sure you understand this idea of tov and very tov, very good, is the idea of shalom, is the idea of perfect peace, is the idea of total flourishing. God looks at his created order and he says, it's awesome. It works according to design. It works according to my plan and purpose. So what do we learn about what is needed to bring about shalom, to bring about total flourishing? We see at least three things from Genesis 1 that are needed to bring about total flourishing. Number one, 
There needs to be systems that work according to their design. So God, what he's going to do, he's going to create systems that work according to their design. We have at least three systems that God creates on days one, two, and three. The first system that God creates is the system of his kingdom, is the system of his kingdom. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What you, what you have right there is this idea that God is bringing heaven and earth into existence. He is the creator God. Later on, you'll read in Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. The heavens and the earth, they know who their creator is. And we need to make no mistake about it that God is in charge of his his creation. His, he, he speaks creation into existence. He gives direction and creation obeys. He gives judgment on what he has created. He deems it good. But what you also have, and don't miss this, when, when we read that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, the Old Testament talks about how the throne of God is in heaven and the earth is his footstool. What God has always intended to do is to bring heaven to earth. And so the very first system that he is creating in Genesis is his kingdom to rule over the earth. The second system that God creates is that he begins to create the solar system. So not only is he creating the system of his kingdom where he rules, where he governs, but now he's going to create the solar system. Now something interesting happens on day one. We read that God said, let there be light. And there was light. And he separated light from darkness. He called the light day and the darkness he called night. But this is before God creates the sun, the moon, and the stars on day four. So what is the light source on day one? What's the light source? We don't know. Some people had said, I mean, some scholars say, well, maybe it's his glory. Well, I, I don't know if that really makes sense because it, it does seem that, that the earth is already rotating. And so, I, I, you know, so are we saying that God's glory shines during the day and God's uh, glory doesn't shine at night? No, we're not saying that. So, so, we, so we don't think it really is his glory. We, we just really don't know what this light source is. But what we do know from verse 14 is that God is going to place the sun, moon, and stars into the space he created on day one. Thus, it does seem to indicate, at the very least, God begins building out the vastness of the universe in general and our solar system in particular. And the Earth's position in our solar system is precise and perfect. Uh, listen to this statement I came across in the American Museum of Natural History. What makes the Earth habitable? It is the right distance from the sun. It is protected from harmful solar radiation. By its magnetic field, it is kept warm by an insulating atmosphere, and it has the right chemical ingredients for life, including water and carbon. So God is being precise with this solar system and at least where he's positioning planet Earth. But then there's a third system. Third, God begins to create the Earth's systems, plural. Now we read on day two that God creates the sea 
and the sky. So we have the atmosphere and we have water covering the face of the earth. This is where we get the beautiful blue skies. This is where we get the the, the gray cloud cover, like this morning waking up, driving here. It wasn't blue. It was actually gray from the fog. Day three, we see that God creates dry ground and calls it land and gathers the waters and calls them seas. This is where we get majestic mountains, rolling hills, desert landscapes, the frozen tundras, and the green valleys. And then in addition to day three, God told the land to produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seeds in it. So just think of some of the unique plant and tree life out there. Take the sequoia tree, for instance. It it is basically a skyscraper. It can grow over 300 feet tall, and it can live to be over 3,000 years old. I mean, it's amazing. And then take orange trees. But orange trees only grow in tropical and subtropical climates. You will not find an orange tree in Chicago. You might find some oranges at at the local grocery store, but you will not find an orange tree. It just gets too cold in Chicago. What about the purple coral? Uh, Purple coral is a type of coral that grows abundantly in coral reefs. Uh, These stunning beauties are also the the reef-building species, which means that they create the backbone for coral reefs, providing home and habitat for much other fish and sea life. So God is creating these systems with intentionality and specificity. So so God's going to create, now don't miss this church, this is really, really important. God creates systems with scientific laws that will house the life he will create on day four, five, and six. Without these systems, life would not be possible on planet Earth. I came across this statement in an article from National Geographic. Here's what the article states. What is the most important part of our planet? The main reason Earth is different from all the other planets in the solar system. It turns out that no single feature is more significant than the others. Each one plays a vital role in the function and sustainability of Earth's systems. There are five main systems or spheres on Earth. The first system, the geosphere. It consists of the interior and the surface of Earth, both of which are made up of rocks. The limited part of the planet that can support living things comprises the second system. These regions are referred to as the biosphere. In the third system are the areas of earth that are covered with enormous amounts of water called the hydrosphere. And then the atmosphere is the fourth system. And it is an envelope of gas that keeps the planet warm and provides oxygen for breathing and carbon dioxide for photosynthesis. You didn't know you were going to get a science lesson today, did you? But you're getting one. Hey, listen, if I had to go back to fifth grade science this week, you do too. So And then finally, there's the the fifth system, which contains huge quantities of ice at the poles and elsewhere, constituting the cryosphere. Listen to this last statement. All five of these enormous and complex systems interact with one another to maintain the earth as we know it. And God created these systems, these complex systems. It's amazing. And these systems are going to be what house the life that he creates in day four, five, and six. So let's turn to number two. 
What, what do you need for flourishing? Not only do you need to create systems, but you need to create structures that can live within the systems that you create. Like I said, days four through six correspond with days one through three. Let me put up a graph for you. So on the left-hand side, you see the systems or the forms. You have light and darkness. That could be the solar system, sea and sky, part of the earth systems, and then land and planets, part of the earth systems. And then on the right-hand side, this is, uh, these are the structures that God is going to create on day four, five, and six. So on day four, he creates the sun, moon, and stars. He puts them into the solar system, the sea creatures and birds. He puts them into earth systems. And then animals and humans, on day six, he puts them into earth systems. Now, let me just describe some of these structures that exist in these systems. Take the sun. The sun is 109 times the size of earth and is a hot ball of hydrogen and helium. And the sun is extremely important because it, it, it really does influence and impact our planet. It drives weather, ocean currents, seasons and climate and makes plant life possible through photosynthesis. It is also the most important energy source for life on earth. In other words, without the sun's heat and light, life on earth would not exist. What about the moon, the structure of the moon? Now, just FYI, the moon does not give off light. It's just, it just reflects the sun's light. And the moon makes earth a more livable planet by moderating earth's wobble on its axis, which allows for a more stable climate. The moon also causes tides and provides a natural rhythm for our oceans. Well, let's look at some of the structures that fill the oceans. What about the octopus? Well, the octopus is, more, is really famous for having eight arms and tentacles with these little suction cups and this big bulging head. Here's some other fun facts about octopuses. They actually have three hearts. I actually would love to have three hearts next Saturday when I do my Ironman, but I only have one. So, uh, so three hearts and blue blood. Uh, they squirt ink to deter predators and they are boneless, which means that they can squeeze in and out of tight spaces. Take blue whales. They are the largest creatures ever to have existed. And guess what about their tongue? Their tongue can weigh as much as an elephant. Unbelievable. And what about some flying creatures and not so much flying creatures? So you have the bald eagle. You have the hummingbird, you have the ostrich, and then you have the penguin. Could you imagine being an ostrich? Why well, I got all these feathers, but I can't fly. But I mean, it's just amazing. And then just think about all the other species of birds that are out there. And then what about some of the creatures that are on the land? You have creatures like the sloth and the cheetah, the moose and the elephant. I remember last summer I was running in Colorado and I was on this dirt road and I literally ran up on a, a, a moose which, which was about a hundred yards away with her calf. And I know that they can be a very aggressive animal, but I just, I just paused there. I froze because it was just beautiful to see them in their natural habitat. And then you have creatures like the pet dog. The pet dog is the domesticated animal because God did create domesticated animals like dogs and cows and sheep and pigs. 
And then finally, we get to the structure of human beings. Human beings are God's prized creation. Why? Because we were created in his image and his likeness. Now, here are some general characteristics of the structures that God creates. General characteristic number one, they are engineered with precision and purpose to live with the environment and system they were created to live in. Take sea creatures, for instance. It's simply amazing how they breathe underwater. Think about fish. They breathe by taking water into their mouth, forcing it out through their gills. But whales and dolphins, they don't have gills. They actually have blowholes and they breathe just like us. They have lungs. And so they got to come up and they got to take in, they got to take in the air through their blowhole and then they can go back under. Alligators, they can hold their breath, but they got to come, they got to come out of the water, get some breath, then they go back down and they can stay underwater for two up to eight hours, depending on how cold the water is. Birds, uh, they were created to fly in there, or at least most birds were. The ostrich, you know, penguin, not, not so much. But it, I watched a video this past week. Again, I, I, I was refreshing myself about science. But it's amazing to look at the skeletal structure of birds and how their bones are hollow, but they have special struts inside of them to strengthen their skeletal structure. And then how, how their feathers go into not only keeping them warm, but allowing them to fly. And then even how they breathe. It's just absolutely fascinating. And then take land animals like insects. There are over 900,000 different kinds of living insects that we know about. Many scientists believe that there are somewhere between 2 million and 30 million insects that we don't know. We've not discovered them yet. And all of them specifically engineered with precision and purpose. Well, what about human beings? Did you know that each adult human body is estimated to have more than 46 miles of nerves and over 60,000 miles of blood vessels or that the brain alone has approximately 100 billion nerve cells or that one foot just one foot is made up of 38 bones, 30 joints, and more than 100 muscles, tendons, and ligaments, which all have to work in unison just to allow us to walk. And then there's no doubt about it, is what this article goes on to say. The human body is complex, perhaps the most complex machine on earth. Think about it, God, he has spiritually engineered for us to relate to him, to reflect his glory in all spheres of life. But on the other hand, he has biologically engineered our bodies with precision to live here on planet earth. And just on a side note, come in for this church, just on a side note, it, it, it seems, but I'm going to go even further. It is, it is way, it is way more, there has to be way more faith for someone to believe that some big bang went off in space that created matter. And that matter over millions and billions of years organized itself with great precision to bring about an ordered creation with millions of species and structures specifically designed to operate within complex systems. It takes more faith to believe that than, the, than it does that there is an intelligent design out there whose name is God. Like next time you, you, you just get in a discussion with someone that says, well, I just believe in the Big Bang Theory. 
I mean, here's the, you have to have more faith. I mean, when you start breaking down the systems and the structures with the precision and purpose that they all need to have in order for life to just function on earth, it is mind-blowing. And then another characteristic, general characteristic, is that the structures and elements of creation are fixed while some also are binary. So some elements of creation are fixed while we also have some binary uh, structures. Now, here's what I mean by that. The moon isn't sitting up there going, well, I'm just tired of being the moon. I wish I could be the sun. I want to be the big ball of helium and hydrogen. No, you don't have the moon doing that. You don't have orange trees going, you know what? I'm just tired of being an orange tree. I think I want to be an apple tree right now. No, no, you don't have that. Orange trees are orange trees. You don't have, you don't have an eagle looking out over the cheetah and going, man, he's so fast. I would love to be a cheetah. No, you, eagles are eagles. Uh, you don't have ants thinking, you know what? I'm just tired of getting stepped on. You know, I'm just tired. Everybody steps on us. I'd love to be an elephant where I can step on everybody else. No, you don't have ants thinking that they are fixed. Cheetahs are cheetahs, eagles are eagles, elephants are elephants, ants are ants, they're fixed. But then you have God's binary units that work together to bring about the flourishing of creation. Binary units such as light and darkness, day and night, sea and land, and yes, male and female. Now, while I'm on this subject, what we are witnessing today in our culture when it comes to gender and sexual, sexual fluidity is a direct assault on creation design. And as the church, as the church, here's the thing, as the church, we must uphold the truth with as much grace given to us by the Spirit to prophetically speak into the culture, especially Gen Z. Do you realize that Gen Z, almost half of them do not hold to a binary viewpoint because they have been taught that binary language is a social construct, not a creation design. But here's the thing, and this is why we must speak prophetically into the culture with grace. To deviate from binary belief that male and female are inherently good concepts is to deviate towards a pathway that is detrimental to how God has structured and wired us. And, and let, me, let me say this. The sex that we were prescribed in our mother's womb where we were fearfully and wonderfully made was not an accident was not happenstance, was not by chance, it was by the very gracious hand of God. God has a purpose and a plan for you. He has knitted you with precision and a purpose. You are not an accident, your gender is not an accident, who you are is not an accident, who you were born to is not an accident. God, he is the creator God who has a purpose for your life and to argue listen to this to argue or attempt to change creational design is not born out of generosity but greed because it signifies to the creator you think you know better than him and then the last characteristic general characteristic about these structures that God made they are seen as inherently good they are seen as inherently good 
I came across this statement in a book that I'm reading entitled The Generosity of Creation. Here's what the author writes. Creation is a gratuitous act. God acts not out of need, but for the sake of those he creates. Creatures share by virtue of their very existence in the gratuitousness of God. It is this view expressed by Thomas Aquinas in his understanding of being as inherently true and good and beautiful. It is the ground for affirming the principle of an original giftedness and generosity among all creatures. In other words, when you look at what God has made and specifically look at human beings, you actually see the generous hand of God at work. We are the gratuitousness of God. That is the reason why we put dignity and value on every human life from birth to grave. Because we are inherently good because of our design. And it is under attack. But the church, we must not let it penetrate the church. Or we start caving into what the world is saying. Why? Because God has created systems and structures for flourishing. But what man is really good at is taking the systems and structures that God has made and adding sin in it, unraveling the order and flourishing, which we'll still see later on in a couple of weeks. And then this leads me to number three. If you want flourishing, not only do you need to create systems and then structures that fit within the systems, you actually need to create roles and responsibilities for the structures to obey within the systems and structures. All right, so think about the plants and animals. For starters, they were all given the role and responsibility of reproducing according to their kind. You don't see rabbits going, oh man, that squirrel looks hot, I gotta go after that squirrel. You don't have that. You know, now I'll tell you what those squirrels do. They like to go after my bike. I mean, and I'm telling you, I almost run over a hundred squirrels every time I take a bike ride. I'm like, you're dumb. But anyways, but you don't have, I mean, animals are reproducing trees, vegetation are re reproducing according to their kind. That was the role and responsibility that God gave to them. But also I want you to think about this. The plants and animals in an ecosystem, they all have roles and responsibilities that bring about the functionality and flourishing of the system. Now, for instance, uh, I, I was reading uh, about the ecosystem of Yellowstone, how in the 1850s, when settlers were moving out west, they came across the Yellowstone, and some of them settled there. And they uh, started to actually kill all of the prey that the wolf would eat. Well, so then after they kind of wiped out the wolf's prey population, the wolves began to attack and to kill their domesticated animals, their livestock. Well, then the settlers, they started to take out the wolf population and eliminated the wolf population in its entirety there in the ecosystem of a Yellowstone. Well, about 25, year, about 25 years ago, so over 100 years later, so 25 years ago, they began to reintroduce the wolf to the ecosystem of Yellowstone. Yellowstone. Today's, uh, today, studies indicate that the wolf recovery is leading to a greater biodiversity throughout the Yellowstone area. Listen to this article. Scientists always knew that as the top predator, wolves were the missing piece in this ecosystem, but they were astonished at how quickly their return stimulated a transformation. The elk and deer population started responding immediately. Within about 10 years, willows re 
rebounded. In 20 years, the aspen began flourishing. Riverbanks stabilized. Songbirds returned as did beavers, eagles, foxes, and badgers. And these are just the things we have the time and funding to study. In other words, listen, if you take the wolf out of the ecosystem it was designed for, the ecosystem suffers. You put the wolf back in and the ecosystem flourishes. Why? Because God gave them roles and responsibilities to bring about the flourishing of the system. So in a similar way, God put mankind in his system, his kingdom, and they were to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. They were to subdue it and have dominion. In other words, come in for this church. In other words, we as human beings, we were to build families, settle in communities, cultivate culture, and build civilizations all under. We were to build those structures all under the system of God's kingdom. Now think about starting with the most basic structure of society, the family. God gave both Adam and Eve roles and responsibilities. They were of the same essence, but different roles and responsibilities. And if you study Genesis 3, the evil one, the serpent, comes along and attacks God's order. And not only does he attack God's order, but he tests whether or not Adam and Eve will fulfill their roles and responsibilities. You see, Adam had the role and responsibility of being a priest in the garden. He was to guard and to keep the garden, as we read in Genesis 2, 15. Well, so the serpent slithers in there and begins to talk to Eve. And so Adam, he's sitting there and he does nothing. He does nothing to stop the serpent, to to get in the way, to say, hey Eve, stop talking to the serpent. And you see what happened was the fall. And the fall was a failure to obey the roles and responsibilities of the structures that God created and had placed within his system. What we are witnessing today is a severe breakdown of structures. We are witnessing a severe breakdown in the structures of just what it means to be human. Gen Z doesn't know who they are. They don't know the purpose to which they've been placed on planet Earth. They're the, they're, 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 they're the most depressed culture, our, our demographic generational cohort. They, they just don't know who they are. So we're seeing a severe breakdown in just the structure of what it means to be human. But then we're seeing a severe breakdown in families and marriages and communities and cities and states. I was watching the gubernatorial debate this past week. I wanted to throw up. It's a severe breakdown. We can't get along anymore. And nation. And the reason why there's this severe breakdown is there, no, there is no cohesive system in which we are operating under. It reminds me of the book of Judges where everyone did what, what was right in their own eyes. There was no system. And in order for a structure to flourish and the structures they create to flourish, they must understand the system in which they live in and thus their roles and responsibilities within. So here's, here's, some, here's three big takeaways from everything that I've just said so far. Here's three big takeaways. In God's creation, systems work properly. In God's creation, systems work properly properly people and things are in proper place doing what they were designed to do 
And then third, by people and things being in their proper place, doing what they were designed to do, they work in harmony with one another to bring about flourishing. That's what flourishing is. That's what shalom is. That's what perfect peace is. And generosity aims to bring about flourishing to the people and things we love. Now, let me wrap it all up and tie a really nice bow to it. You ready for it? Here we go. Let's go back to the product review earlier. If an owner or company wants to create a product with the aim of bringing flourishing to those that they are trying to reach with their product, then their systems and structures and the roles and responsibilities within those systems and structures will need to exhibit generosity. Without generosity, there will be no flourishing. Functionality, yes. Flourishing, no. Think about all of those bad reviews that you have written. At some level, they cease to be generous. Maybe they were not generous in explaining what the role and responsibility was. Maybe they weren't generous in exhibiting what their role like. So if you've gone to a restaurant and you've given a restaurant a bad review, let's say the food was good, but the service was horrible. At some level, there was a breakdown in the systems and structures and the roles and responsibilities. So if you want flourishing, every level of that organization needs to exhibit generosity. Now, just on, just, just, just on a side note, though, we do live in a fallen world. We live in a broken, sinful world. So I, I, I don't expect for any organization, even the church, to be able to sustain a five-star rating. But because we are believers and because Jesus has deposited and imputed his spirit within us, we can actually work towards Shalom because we know how to do it. So let me put this in spiritual terms using John three sixteen. So we read that those who believe in God's one and only son shall not perish, but have what? So they're gonna have eternal life. They're gonna have a flourishing life. They're gonna have a life of perfect peace. How'd that come about? I'm glad that you asked. So when Jesus came over 2,000 years ago, the very first statement he makes prior to beginning his ministry is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. You see what Jesus brought with him is the system of God's kingdom because man went astray. Man went awry. Man said, I want to be my own kingdom. I want my own system. And you see where that got us, okay? So that's the reason why Jesus had to come. He came bringing and ushering in the kingdom of God, all right? And so that is the system that he brought, but he was the structure. He was the structure. And God had given him the role and responsibility to be the sacrifice for the sin of the world. He was the perfect structure to bridge the gap between a holy God and an unholy human race. Jesus went to the cross, died, was buried. Three days later, he rose again from the grave. And if you want to be, if you want to be incorporated into God's kingdom, you got to go through the structure of Jesus. And then when you go through the structure of Jesus and you become part of his kingdom, then now you become part of his church. He gave birth to a structure called the church. And in the church, there are roles and responsibilities of who we are and what we do in the world. And so what we are trying to do is to be faithful in executing our roles and responsibilities because it's in the church we can exhibit the generosity of God. It's in the church we can exhibit and reflect the glory of God. And so that we can declare to the world 
world. This is who God is. This is what he has done. This is what he is doing. But it's all within the system of the kingdom of God and the structure Jesus Christ that brings about eternal life. So let me bring, this is the bow part. This is the bow part. Let me bring all this down to home. If you are a generous person, if I'm a generous person and you are married, you will seek and work to bring flourishing to your marriage. Because you're gonna look at, okay, kingdom of God, marriage structure, how how does my structure fit into the kingdom of God where flourishing happens? And you're gonna seek, men, women, we're gonna seek if we're in our marriage and we're generous by our very nature because the Holy Spirit lives in us, we're going to seek to work to bring flourishing to our marriage. If you got kids, you're gonna seek to work to bring flourishing to your home. Again, in the system of God's kingdom, you got the structure of family. All right, how how do I fit? How do I fit kids? You're gonna say, how do I fit in this structure under the system of God's kingdom in a way that brings flourishing to the home? If you're a generous person, you're part of a company, workplace, or team, you're going to seek to work to bring flourishing to that environment in which you are a part. Then listen to this one. If you're a generous person and you are part of a church family, you will seek to work and bring about flourishing within that church family. Hey, North, I just want to be honest with you. And it's not... Northland is just functioning right now. Northland is not flourishing. And if you look back, and this is one of the things that I've been talking to the governing elders, staff about, if you look at all of the transitions of Northland over the last five, 10 years, there's a breakdown with structures and a confusion as to the system which has left us just functioning as a church. But here's what we know. God just doesn't want his church to function. He wants his church to flourish. Everybody say flourish. Oh, he wants us to flourish. But, but, oh, there's a big but. And I cannot lie. If we want to flourish, it will take every single one of us who calls Northland home to be generous, be generous. And you're gonna have to find your role and responsibility in this structure under the system of God's kingdom to work that out. So as such, here's how how we're gonna bring flourishing. We're gonna seek to understand. Here's what we're gonna do In in, in, in our own lives, in our families, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna understand how the structures of marriage, family, work, community, and church fit in the system of God's kingdom and what your role and responsibilities are within those structures, and here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna seek to give your life towards the flourishing of all those environments. So last night as I was watching Tennessee whoop up on Kentucky, here's a picture that I drew. Don't, 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 don't laugh at my picture that I drew, but, but uh, here it is. Um, so this is what I'm talking about. Heaven, this is, what, this is what happened in the very beginning. Heaven came to earth and, and God, he is, he is instituting his kingdom here on earth. That's the system. Then Adam and Eve, he created these two structures that came together that actually created other structures. 
You have the structures of marriage and family on the left. In the middle, you have work, vocation, culture in the, in the middle. And then on the right, you have community, city, and church. These are the structures underneath the system of God's kingdom. And what we've got to figure out is what our roles and responsibilities are in each of those structures under the auspice and system of God's kingdom and work towards the flourish. You say, Josh, how, how do you do that? Oh, that's the cliffhanger. But I'll give you a hint. Here's the hint. It's actually how you leverage your time, your talents, and your treasures. How you leverage your time, your talents, and your treasures will determine the flourishing of the structures in which you inhabit. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that we would be generous people. Now we have this vision of what shalom is and how you actually see shalom happen through the systems and structures and the roles and responsibilities that we have within those structures. And Father, I pray for Northland. Oh, brighter days, greater days lie ahead, but we know that they will only be accomplished through the Spirit of God empowering us to be generous. To be generous. And so as we continue this series, Father, I do pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that is open to how we can tap into the nature of generosity embedded within us through the Spirit of God. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, here's my ending. Here's my ending this, this morning, is I just want you to take an inventory real quick. Ask, ask yourself, in your own life, are you flourishing? Are you flourishing? And just be, be real honest. I'm not asking you to share you know, with me or if you want to share with a neighbor, that'd be, that, that'd be great later on. But ask, are you flourishing? Then if you are married, I want you to ask yourself this question, honest assessment. Is my marriage flourishing? Maybe you got kids that still live under your roof. Will you take that assessment and go, is my house hold, is my home flourishing and then take the assessment of Northland maybe even your role in it is Northland flourishing and so as you've taken those assessments I want you just to ask God to give you an open heart and mind of how he can use you to work towards the flourishing in all of those structures. Will you stand with me as we give the benediction and we are sent out? And here's the benediction. Father, you are the creator of all things. You are our king. And we worship you. May we work towards the flourishing of not only our life, but our families, our marriages, our church, and even our community, cities, state, and nation because of what you have taught us through your word. For it's in your name we pray. All God's people said, you are sent out to be the salt and light of the world.